All right, good morning. My name is Britt. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Living Stones. And uh, yeah, when I said that at Cornerstone, I just stopped and cried. Uh, I'm not going to cry before you guys. <laughs> I don't think. Um, but it's an honor to be here, to talk to you guys, to share with you God's word. And so we have been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're teaching through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we'll be doing that for the next few months as we go through that, as we listen to and as we study, and as we seek to apply uh, this message, this sermon that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. And so this is His teaching, and we want to go through it and honor that and consider it, and like I said, apply it. But as we've done that, you've probably heard myself and Matt, as we've preached through this, repeatedly talk about culture. And, and as I'm thinking through that this week, I'm like, well, what exactly is culture? And if you look it up, the definition, and you think through that, culture is we have these shared beliefs, right? We, we believe the same thing, and so therefore we value the same things. We have these shared values. But then because of these shared beliefs, these shared values, then we actually share in common these behaviors, what we do, how we respond, how we act. And we do that together in relationship. We do that together in community. So again, a culture, someone has a shared beliefs, shared values that result in a shared practice. And this message is about a kingdom culture. This is about the culture of Jesus Christ. And that we would have these beliefs and that we would have values according to not us, not according to the world, but according to Jesus Christ. And that those shared beliefs and those shared values would result in a shared practice according to Jesus Christ, according to the kingdom. So that we would be a part of this kingdom culture as followers in the church. And so as we've gone through verse 1 through 12, we've talked about these beatitudes. And if you look, put that in the framework of a culture, it's really like these are our values. If we believe in Jesus Christ, if we believe He is our Savior, if we believe He's come to restore the world, then as Christians, as followers of Christ, these verses, verse 3 through 12, those are our values. This is what we're to be. And so I just want to read that again to put it in perspective, to help us to review these values as a part of the kingdom, as a part of Jesus Christ's culture that we're to be. So I'm going to read first in English and in Haiti and Spanish, verse 3 through verse 12 of chapter 5. This is what we've taught the last three weeks. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we talked through that the last few weeks... First, we're supposed to empty ourselves. This life is a life without, 
that we would empty ourselves, that we'd realize that we're powerless, that we're hopeless, that we're defenseless. And after we've emptied ourselves, then we need to be filled, and we're filled with this righteousness. We're filled with Jesus Christ. And so it says we have this righteousness, not just vertically, but also that wants to see right done around us, right done in the horizontal relationships. And that we wouldn't respond based on how others deserve, so we would give them mercy. That we'd be pure in heart, that we would desire what God desires. And that because we have this peace with God, then we would seek this peace, we would seek to be peacemakers with others around us. But then if you've emptied yourself of your own presence, and then you filled yourself with God's presence, then it says, as it moves to verse 10, expect opposition. That's what's coming, is you're going to have this life of opposition as you walk with Him. In verse 10 it says, you're going to be persecuted for that righteousness that I, that I said, you're going to hunger and thirst for, that very righteousness, you're going to be persecuted for it. You're going to be reviled because you are aligned with the King. Because your identity is with the King and because your life matches that of the King, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be reviled. And repeatedly, as we have gone through that, I've said it, Matt said it, like this is upside down. This makes no sense. This is completely counterculture. Counter to our culture, counter to the world. It makes no sense when you compare the two side by side. And I think that that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, it's going to be a counterculture. It's not going to look like the world. You're going to look different. It's going to be counter to the lives in the world. And it's going to be counter to the places and the community in the world. But yet you are going to remain in the world. Demonstrating and proclaiming my kingdom. But this is who we're to be. So if that's who we're to be, now we're in the world. We're living this way. We have these values in the world. And so today we're going to talk about this life that we have in the world. And a kingdom life that's in the world. If you look at the next, or the big idea, it's a life that preserves others first. It provides hope to others second. And then lastly, it results in others praising God. So we have this life, we have these values, and we're going to live it out now in the world. We're going to be this kingdom culture, this counterculture in the world. And as we do that, we're going to preserve others, we're going to provide hope to others, and it's going to result in others praising God. And so we're going to walk through those three things this morning from this passage. And so I want to read the passage now, as you can hear those three things, and then we'll walk through them one by one. Everybody with me? So he's saying you, you that he's talking to, you his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the first step is that this kingdom life preserves others. Verse 13 starts out, it says, You are the salt of the earth. You are salt. We are salt. What does that mean? What does that mean that we're salt? In that culture, in that context, salt was extremely valuable. It was something that was needed for sustaining their culture, for flourishing, for a people that would flourish, they would have access to salt. And I'm going to tell you guys why. But it's not because salt was unique. It's not because salt was special. It's not because salt was different. It's because its purpose was valuable. But we believe, and we tend to think that if we're rare, that's what makes us valuable. If we're different, we have to be different. We have to be special to be valuable. But if we look at this with salt, it's like, no, it had a purpose and it was valuable because of its purpose. And I started thinking about the most valuable things that I've ever had or I've bought. And so my mind went to 16 years ago. I went home and I started working. I started painting houses. I said, I'm going to buy this diamond for this girl that I met and I'm going to make her mine. And I saved up money. And I start looking at these diamonds, right? It was the most expensive thing that I'd ever bought in my 20 years of life at that point. I had no idea what I was doing. But then you go to the store and you talk to all these people that are slick and smooth, you know, and they start saying how you want this rare diamond. You know, you want something, the more rare, the more valuable. I mean, don't you love your wife? So you want something that's really valuable, really rare. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? How do you do that? And so then they show you the four C's. And I apologize, I could not find the four C's in Spanish. Oh, but we got it. Awesome. Melanie did it for us. Thank you. You did that. You did that. Thank you. <laughs> Haiti did this. Unbelievable. Alright, so the four C's. First, this is going to help us decide how valuable something is, how valuable the diamond is because of how rare it is. And so first is the cut. And you realize right away if the cut is a, it's, it's called oval, that's the worst cut because it was actually came from a defective diamond. You know, this is what they tell you. It's the, it's the most common. Okay? So you don't want that. You want to go to something more rare. Then you get color and you say, is it, is it brilliantly white? Like that's the most rare, the white and clear and perfect? Or is it kind of getting yellow? The more white, the more rare. You want a white one? And then let me skip to the carrot at the end. How big is it? Diamond, big diamonds are extremely rare. The, more, the bigger it is, the more there is, and the more valuable it is. But not necessarily because there's more of it, because it is more rare. And then clarity. This is what I got into because you could see, they would, they would give you these diagrams of the diamond. You could see every little mark, every imperfection. So the fewer imperfections, the more rare, and therefore the more valuable. So I bought my ring. I went to Nidia. I got down on my knee. And she said yes. 16 years later, that ring is gone. 
that valuable ring, that diamond that, that, I, that I worked all summer for, that I saved my money for, that I did all this study. I wanted a rare one. I wanted something that reflected my love for Nida. And she lost it. But what I realized is that even still not having that diamond it is one of the most valuable things it's the most valuable thing that I've ever purchased in my life not because of how rare it was but because of the purpose that it served it allowed me in our culture to go before my wife and ask her to marry me and having that diamond going to her it served that purpose and she said yes and so now I have one of the most valuable things in my entire life because of the purpose that that diamond played. Not because it was rare, but because of what it did for me, how it worked. There was a few other things that she liked, but the diamond was good. But does that make sense? Because we tend to think, no, 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 we need to be different. We need to be special. We need to be rare. We need to be unique. And we're going to find our value in that. We're going to be valuable if we're all those things. But if you look at this and you understand the salt, if you understand what this means, it's that we're to be valuable through our purpose because we are followers of Jesus Christ, because we are serving Him. That's our purpose. And we are valuable because we're His. We're valuable because He wants to use us. We have a purpose. We're not valuable because we're unique. We're valuable because we are being used by Him. That's where we need to find our identity. And so if we realize our purpose, and you see that here our purpose is to preserve. The purpose of salt was to keep things from rotting. It was to keep things literally, food, meat, from breaking down, from being nasty and rancid. And he's saying, you're salt. We're salt. We're supposed to go into lives. We're supposed to go into communities. And we're supposed to be in there. And we're supposed to prevent them from breaking down. We're supposed to restore them. We're supposed to preserve them. That they might not fall apart. Because we know Jesus Christ holds all things together. And we've experienced that in our own lives. And so we're going to go into others' lives. And we want to see them restored. We want to see them preserved. But we do everything to avoid these broken places. To avoid these broken people. Because it is not fun. It is not a good time. It gets messy when we're in broken situations. When things are rotting around us. and You want me to go into that situation where things are falling apart? And I was thinking, you know what, I am still looking for and I desire relationships that are easy. I'm still looking for church members. I'm still looking for neighbors that don't have any problems. That I can just be around, I can just enjoy, I can just have a good time. There's never conflict, there's never issues. There's never needs. They never let me down. I still haven't found them. And we say, Britt, you shouldn't think that about people, right? But, but you can think that about places. 
And that's a little more, that's, we can accept that if you talk about places in that way. So, because I've even heard it encouraged. Well, I want to live in this place where it's nice, it's quiet, it's clean, it's safe. I have friendly neighbors that bring me over butter and eggs when I need it. I've, the, the homes, the values are increasing in the homes. And there's excellent schools for my kids. I mean, why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I want to be in a place like that? Not a, not a broken place. Because when we go into those relationships, and when we go into those places, we know we lose our lives. It takes a part of us. We have to give ourselves to be there. We have to participate in it, and we get broken. We get messy in the process. This is what occurs. We are salt. We're nice. We're safe. We're in the container on the shelf. Right? We sprinkle ourselves in a few places, make things nicer. But God says you're supposed to go in. He says, I want you to pour yourself into this broken situation. But as we go in there, and life happens, we're dissolved. We lose our life. Now it's just salty water. It's not salt. We've lost ourselves. We've lost our life in that situation. We've been dissolved. And we avoid that contact. We avoid that contact in those lives. We avoid that contact in those places. Because we'll lose our lives. But also, like I said, it gets messy. We'll get contaminated. With contact, there's contamination. It spreads over into my life. And if you guys come with my family to the mall, when we go to get on the escalator, before we approach the escalator, my wife prepares my kids. Do not touch the rails on the elevator. I mean, the escalator. Okay, they're the nastiest things ever because everybody puts their hand, hand after hand after hand after hand, go on the rails. Do not touch the rails. And so, what do we do? Is we step up the first one. My kids' hands go to the rails, right? Then we have to wash their hands because they're contaminated. But we know we have to go in. Like, well, let's be obedient. We know this is biblical. Okay, God wants us to go into lives, and there's going to be this contact, and we're going to lose our lives. I really don't want to be contaminated. And so what are we going to do? Like, are we going to be obedient, or are we going to lose our lives and be contaminated? So this is what we do next. Is we get prepared. We get ready to go in. I know I gotta do it. I mean, it's biblical, right? I mean, we're, the individuals are on contact isolation. And trust me, because I'm a medical professional. All right. I'm gonna get ready to go in because I know I have to. I know it's required. I don't want to be disobedient. Alright, let me get involved where people are falling apart. And I'm here to help you, okay? And you feel really comfortable now that I'm here to help you. you see, I mean, you see me coming like this, like you are, your, your life, you're put at ease, right? 
This is called personal protective equipment. And isn't that what we do as we engage in others' lives? Okay, okay, I'll get in there, I'll get in there, but I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to be contaminated. I want to protect myself, I want to protect my family, I want to protect my security. I don't want to lose my life as I preserve yours. But God says, go in. So when we go into others' lives that are broken, when we go into this neighborhood and there are broken places, are we focused on preserving ourselves? Protecting ourselves? Are we focused on preserving others? Because if we're salt, then we're going to go in and we're going to have full contact and we're going to be dissolved. We're going to lose our lives and there's going to be contamination. There's going to be crossover. But yet, we're going to focus on preserving others. Because I've emptied myself, remember? I've emptied myself and I've been filled with Christ. And so therefore, I don't have to worry about protecting myself. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so I can go in and I can be involved in this work that Jesus Christ is doing because Jesus Christ is about restoration. He's about bringing wholeness. If we're going to be with Him, if we're going to be a kingdom culture, then we've got to be in the world and we've got to go into broken places. But it says next, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The principal primary description of salt is that it's salty. If salt's not salty, it's not salt. There's no such thing as unsalty salt. You were mistaken, okay? It's not salt, right? And that's basically what he's saying. He's like, it's lost its taste. It means literally that it has no strength to do its purpose. It has no power to accomplish what it was created for. And if we're not salty Christians, then we're not serving our purpose. We, we have no strength to carry out our purpose. And our purpose, like I said, is to be involved in preserving others and restoring lives and sharing the gospel. That's participating in the work of the gospel. And so if we are Christians, then we're all these things in verse 3 through 12. There's no such thing as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, who are not these things in verse 3 through 12. Like that's who we are to be. As salt is salty, we are to be these things. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to be merciful. We're to be peacemakers. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the descriptions. Those are the primary things of what it means to be with Jesus Christ. And because we're all those things, because Jesus Christ has made us all those things, we can go into broken places. Because we've emptied ourselves, we can stop preserving ourselves. Because we've been filled with God's righteousness, remember that's a righteousness, not just with Him vertically, but also cares about others around us being restored. We can then participate in others around us being restored. So that's the very purpose of our lives if we're followers of Christ. Preserving others. If we're not doing that, look at the rest of verse. It says, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
So if salt is not salty, throw it out. If Christians are not Christian, if we're not all these, if we're not these values, then, then then what good are we? It says literally to throw it out. It means I'm tossing this out. It's of no use to me. I don't care where it goes. I don't care what happens to it. I'm going to throw it out. And it says it's going to be trampled under people's feet. It's going to be it's going to be ridiculed. And so in our context, this is the best the best example I could come of what it means to be thrown out. If we're Christians that aren't Christians, if we're not salty Christians, then this is what should occur. Everybody know that sound? We should be flushed down the toilet. I don't care where it's going, just get it out of here. I'm not thinking about what happens. I don't need it around me. That sounds harsh, but that's what this is saying. Like, what good is it? Just throw it out. If it's not serving its purpose, why do I need it around? Why do I need, I need something that's unuseful, something that's not participating? And so are we living our purpose? Are we salty? Are you salty? Is this church salty? Are we willing to go in? Are we willing to be involved in people's lives? Are we willing to be involved in this neighborhood and be dissolved and lose ourselves in the process so that others would be preserved? That this neighborhood around us would say, I don't know about living stones. I don't know that I believe what they believe. I don't know that I value what they value, but wow. They are involved and they are in this place and they are a part of this community and they care about my life and they are seeking relationship with me. I don't know what I would do if they weren't here. That's what it means to be salty. We would be involved in that way and we'd be perceived in that way. So a kingdom life preserves others and then it also, secondly, it, it brings and provides hope to others. I spend more time on verse 13 because I think we have pretty limited understanding of salt. All right? As we go forward from verse 14, we've heard this a lot. We've, we've thought about what it means to be light. But understanding the culture and the context, it provides hope. It says, you, as you were salt, now you are a light of the world. It was this beacon of hope. And the hope came from the gospel. The hope is the hope that we have in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the light that we have. Remember, we were, we, were, we were rescued from this domain of darkness that we talked about in Colossians, and we've been transferred to this kingdom of His beloved Son. Right? We were taken out of darkness, and we were given this light of the gospel, and that's this hope that we have. That as Christians, we have been completely transformed. Our relationship with God is completely transformed. And we have this hope of this amazing future through the gospel. That's the hope that we have. That's the light that we have. We've been radically changed. And then it says, we are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The hope that we have, this light that has been given to us, is to be public. It's not to be private, it's to be public. It's meant literally to be visible. In that time, if a city was set on a hill, it was visible for all to see. 
It didn't hide behind walls. It didn't hide behind a fortress. It was, it was visible for everyone. And if you think about the visibility, when was it more visible? It was visible at night. When there was darkness all around, then the lights of the city would show up like a beacon in the middle of this darkness. And so I want to give you guys a picture of that. This is Los Angeles, but do we get the idea? It's visible. It's completely visible for everyone to see. And in the darkness, the lights are shining. And you can see the entire city. It's there for everyone. Are we visible in that way? Realize it's not one light. Think beyond your life by itself as a light. No city has one light. It's a collection of lights that come together to form this city that can be visible to all. We can be light in our lives individually, but when we come together, then we're the city set on a hill. And we are brighter together than we are alone. I can live in Lanark, and I can be a light, but I cannot do that on my own in the same way that God can do that together through us as we shine as a collection of lights, as we shine as a city on a hill that's visible in this place, that's visible to the people here. And so are we shining together? Think about your life. Are you shining in your life? And then think about your life with the church. Are you shining together with the church? Are you shining together with this body in this place? Because we were called to be visible. We're called to shine our light, this hope of the gospel, together. In verse 15 it says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Light serves a purpose. It gives light to all in the house. In that time, there was no electricity, right? Light was valuable. Daylight was valuable. As the lights went down, life shut down. Relationships shut down. So you would have this lamp in the middle of your house that you could light and would give light to the entire house so you could continue in those relationships. You could continue in life. You could continue to interact. And imagine now with daylight savings, I'm driving home the other day from work in the dark. I'm like, this is crazy. It's like 5.30, it's completely dark. Imagine if we didn't have light. If we just had to wait until the sun came up the next morning. We couldn't interact with each other. We couldn't have relationships. We couldn't be productive. It would hinder everything. Light has a purpose. It allows us to interact. It allows for relationships as it dispels the darkness. And the light was placed in the middle of the house. Not in the corner of the house. Not in a closet of the house. In the middle of the house so that the light could be seen by all. It was to be shared with everyone. And so we're not to take our light outside of this culture. We're to have our light inside the culture. We're to have our light inside the world. We're to shine this light in the world, not removed from the world, but inside so that it can give light to all who are in the house. It's to be within our culture and it's to be throughout our culture. It's not just for me and God. It's to shine for all. And so is your life as an individual and as a church 
Is it shining in the darkness of this place? Is it shining in the darkness of relationships? Or have you kept that hope that you have? You're thankful for it, but I'm keeping it to myself. Because it says we're to share it with others. It's to be made visible. This hope that we have in the gospel. So to dispel this darkness, to break up the darkness, we have to stay. We have to remain. And we have to continue to shine. We have to continue to proclaim the hope that we have in the gospel. We can't as a church and we can't as individuals remove ourselves. We don't come here to have a holy huddle and to stay out of the world and to remove ourselves from the world. We're supposed to be involved. We're supposed to be a part. We're supposed to be giving light to all around us. And so we go in and preserve others. We go in and we give hope to others, this hope of the gospel. But all of this we do in a way not to promote ourselves, but in a way that causes others to praise God. So as we're salt and as we're light, it would result in others praising God. Look at verse 16. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. When it says before others, it literally means right in front of, in close proximity, so that they can see, so that they're in the presence of your good work. They're right there with you, and you are shining this light right before them. It's not just this vertical righteousness, remember, that we're, it's me and God. No, this righteousness is supposed to be demonstrated, it's supposed to be shown before others. It's not just me in my prayer closet being squeaky clean. It's me being involved in demonstrating the hope of the gospel that I have to the world around me. Our good works are designed to shine in close proximity, not from a distance. And you say, well, what does good works are what? What does that mean? And again, connect, uh, connect this with the context. It's these beatitudes. If we're all these things, then we have a shared belief. We have a shared values. And so that we're going to have a shared behavior. We're going to have a shared behavior that reflects Jesus Christ. And so as we live out these values, as we have these behaviors, which is what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is about, we're going to shine like lights before and in the world. So that's what these good works are. We're going to be reading and studying about these good works and what that behavior would actually look like in the world. They're not to be read, our good works. They're not to be proclaimed. We just tell everybody about our good works. They're to be demonstrated. They're to, be, they're to shine before people so they can see them, so they can experience them. But in this before other people, in close proximity, I'm going to show my good works. That's a little awkward, Brit. And when I'm close to people, when I'm right in front of them, I actually start worrying about myself. And I become a little self-aware and self-focused and I, and I get uncomfortable with that. And this is what we do. If you guys have ever been camping with my family, if you've been on the Livingstones camp trip, people will come with one of these. And I've got my light. 
And if you've ever been in my tent, we've got two of these right, within our household. And two kids get them, and they turn them on. Right? And they're coming, and they're in the tent, and you're pretty close corners, and they walk right up to you, and they're like, Papi! Papi! With the light shining right in their face. And I can see this light. I can see it in the tent. I, I see it from a distance. But as soon as they get close to me, it starts to become uncomfortable. Right? It's helpful for them. They can see. Well, I can see everything I need to right in front of me. I can get in and out of the tent. I can go to the bathroom. I can not get eaten by a bear. I can do anything I need to do with my light. But is this light, is it very purposeful? Is it very good for you? In my tent, it's not. All I do is get shine right in the face. I see white lights. I can't see anything else. And God says... You don't need to have a light that's focused on you. You need to have a light that's focused on others. We put this in the middle of the tent and it hangs on a little thread and it gives light to all in the tent. <laughs> right? Everybody can see. Everybody is, is able to benefit from this light. It doesn't shine in my face. It doesn't distract me. And, and I can see what I need to do. I can zip up my sleeping bag. I can take care of myself. I can take care of others if this light is shining in this manner. Because it's focused on not me, but it's focused on others. And so our works, this living out these behaviors, they're focused on others. They're not focused on me. That those are good works that come from being a part of this kingdom culture. Remember, I'm done with myself. I've emptied myself. I've been filled with Christ. I had this hope of the gospel. And so I share this hope of the gospel in a way that is beneficial for others. And so are we trying to share this light through good works that are focused on us or that are focused on others? Are we trying to promote who we are or are we trying to promote Jesus Christ by focusing and caring on others? Because these good works that were to shine before men are always focused, always on others. Good works that come from a kingdom life are never about me, they're never about you, they're about others. That's the benefit of good works. That's what they lead to. And that's a way, that, as you see in the last part of the passage, it gives glory to our Father who is in heaven. So do our works show our power? Or do our works show God's power? Do our good works result in our praise? Or do they result in God's praise? Because if we're of a kingdom culture and we have these kingdom values in our good works as we live out our lives, they're going to show God's power and they're going to bring praise to Him. They're going to result in others praising God. Because as we let our light shine, right, the spotlight is never on us, but it illuminates Jesus Christ. He is made visible. He can be seen by these lights, by us shining the light. Because that's what Jesus did. His good works gave glory to the Father who is in heaven because He entered into a broken world. And He entered into our broken lives. He went into a place that was messy. He made full contact. He put on flesh and He became one of us. He became contaminated in a sense. He walked here amongst us in this place, in this dirty place that was full of sin, and He became one of us and He identified with us. And in that process, 
he gave himself completely. He was dissolved so that we could be restored, so that we could be preserved. He gave of his life so that we could have life. He was the light of the world. As he hung on the cross, he shined his light for all to see. Everyone could witness it. Everyone could witness what he was doing. And it was a good work that was not for himself. It was a good work for others. It was on behalf of others. He gave this ultimate hope of the gospel as he let his light shine on the cross through this other focused work of the cross. Jesus Christ is salt. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we're a part of his culture, then we would be salt and we would be light in the same manner. We would reflect him, we would make him known because we're his sons and daughters. We'd be this counterculture within our culture that is making Jesus Christ visible. We wouldn't be removed, we would be involved, and Jesus Christ would be honored. We would be salt. We would go into broken places. We would be light. We would proclaim and demonstrate through our good works for others the hope of the gospel. And we would do that before men so that all could see and that Jesus Christ would be praised. That the result of that is Jesus Christ would be honored. He would be known as supreme. He would be known as most worthy. He would be lifted up if we're salt and if we're light. So in a world, a kingdom life preserves others, it provides hope to others, and it results in others praising God. I just want us to think through that. I don't want us to just read through and just go on to the next thing. Like, are we salty? Are we light? In our own individual lives, but then also as a body, is, is this what we're known as? Are we making Jesus Christ known? Because the saltiest and the brightest is Jesus Christ, and we're to reflect Him. We're to be like Him. That's our purpose. That's where our value is, as we follow Christ. And so let's be salty. Let's be light. That that would be the description of living stones.